As soon as Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the entirely burned offering and the sacrifices, while the Lord's glory filled the temple. The priests were unable to enter the Lord's temple because the Lord's glory had filled the Lord's temple. All the Israelites were watching when the fire fell. As the Lord's glory filled the temple, they knelt down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, worshiping and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, yes, God is good. Yes, God's faithful love lasts forever. Then the king and all the people sacrificed to the Lord. King Solomon sacrificed 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep when the king and all the people dedicated God's temple. The priests stood at their posts, as did the Levites with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord, saying, yes, God's faithful love lasts forever, and which David had used when he gave praise. Across from them, the priests were blowing trumpets while all Israel was standing. Solomon also dedicated the middle of the courtyard in front of the Lord's temple. He had to offer the entirely burned offerings and the fat of the well-being sacrifices there because the bronze altar Solomon had made was too small to contain the entirely burned offerings, the grain offerings, and the pieces of fat. At that time, Solomon, together with all Israel, celebrated the festival for seven days. It was a very large assembly that came from Lebo Hamath to the border of Egypt. On the eighth day, there was a gathering. They had dedicated the altar for seven days and celebrated the festival for another seven days. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, Solomon dismissed the people to their tents, happy and content, because of the goodness the Lord had shown to David, to Solomon, and to his people Israel. In this way, Solomon finished the Lord's temple and the royal palace. He successfully accomplished everything he intended for the Lord's temple and his own palace. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place as my house of sacrifice. When I close the sky so that there is no rain, or I order the locusts to consume the land, or I send a plague against my people, if my people who belong to me will humbly pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. From now on, my eyes will be open, and my ears will pay attention to the prayers offered in this place, because I have chosen this temple and declared it holy, so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. 2 Chronicles 7, 1 through 16. Thanks, Peter. Good morning, everyone. I apologize, I usually get my stand beforehand, so you're going to see my little walk here. How's everybody doing today? Hanging in? I have to admit, I'm a little bit emotional this morning, a little prone to, to tears in the eyes. And uh, I'm sure part of that is because I have, uh, th- this probably helps with that, <laughs> that mic issue. Huh? I'm sure part of that uh, emotionalness and, and kind of teariness is because I have an eight and a half month old daughter and I haven't slept in eight and a half months. Uh, but part of it is that it's just such a joy to be back in person, in worship, in community with you all. And I know that some of you are um, 
back for the first time today. Some of you are here for the first time today. Many more of you are continuing to join us online, and it just, oh, it warms my soul on a very cold, cold late March morning um, to have this kind of community. And so, so thank you for being here with us. Um, if I didn't mention it already because I was a little um, out of order here, my name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. And as Cameron mentioned, we are in a Lenten long series on sin. Dun, dun, dun. It's called Torn. And the reason we're calling it Torn is because we are engaging with a metaphor, a different kind of metaphor than you may have heard about the nature of sin. You see, so many of us have been harmed by sin language. So many of us have been told um, that sin is just the word that is hurled at us when someone doesn't like who we are or how we love. So many of us have internalized hatred around the word sin. And I got to tell you, that is just not of God. It's not biblical. It's not from Jesus. And one of the reasons that we've gotten so off track in our culture around sin is because we have really hitched our wagon to a crummy metaphor. And I love metaphors. We have a lot of them. God gave us a lot of gifts and tools to encounter the divine. And so it's great that we have many different choices, many different metaphors to choose from when trying to understand God and these big concepts of, of things like sin or salvation or repentance. But the one that we've really hitched our wagon to in this culture around sin is connected to the carceral state, that is the prison industrial complex. And we have said that sin is when we break the law and we are convicted by God, we are guilty, we are punished, we are sentenced to death. And that it is only through some sort of intervention from the cross that we are relieved of that sentence. And so we think about sin and guilt in this kind of carceral way. Except that in our country, the carceral system is really messed up. And actually, we don't think that that's godly at all here at Zao. We think that the chains need to be broken. We believe in abolition because our police state and our carceral state is harming people. And that that is not of God. And so if it's not of God, if the carceral system, if those metaphors, those understandings of what happens when we cause harm, that we need to be locked away, that we need to repair our harm simply by being punished and banished, if those things are wrong, then trying to understand God through those images is also going to be toxic. It's going to be harmful. And so we are trying to discard those understandings of sin and find new ones, powerful ones, maybe even ancient ones that can actually help us understand better what it means to be a part of the fabric of the universe. And so, as Cameron mentioned, the one that we are, we are investing in this season, the metaphor, the image that we are pouring ourselves into, is the idea of the universe, of the cosmos, of all God's beautiful creation woven together in love. That that is the intention for creation. And that sin is separation. Anything that tears us apart. Anything that creates gaps or pulls at loose or vulnerable threads, anything that rends us from ourselves, from our loved ones, from God, we call that sin and we grieve that. And it is our task to identify those patterns, to interrupt them, and to heal and mend the universe. And so, when we talk about sin, we are not going to get out of this conversation without talking about the word 
repentance. Anybody here have like deeply icky feelings with the word repent or repentance? All right, I'm not alone. (laughs) Yeah, I mean like when I think of the words repent, right, it usually is followed by sinner, right? Repent, sinner. And, and usually that's, you know, it comes with the image of like somebody with a sandwich board and like a lot of like, like aggressively small writing on it. Like I'm supposed to like kneel and be like, what? Like tell me about this news bulletin because it's like repent or perish, right? Repent and live, which feels very much like a threat. And it comes with a lot of like judgment and hate and rejection. It feels very shame motivating, Right? And, and, and it actually takes a lot of mental and emotional energy to block that out and to be like, I'm not going to engage with you. But that's the point, right? They're, they're trying to kind of get under the skin and make us feel scared or sh- ashamed. And in this sense, this encounter with the concept of repentance, repentance is about conforming. Repentance is about doing what you are told. Repentance is about control through shame and coercion. And in that way, repent and live really does feel like a threat. If you don't do as you are told, you will be killed. You'll be cast into eternal hellfire. But like, is that real? Is that biblical? Is that of God? Is that the Jesus that we root ourselves in? No. No. (laughs) Spoilers, no. (laughs) I mean, I'll tell you why, but no. This gets confused. This kind of comes up in our culture through centuries of kind of carbon copying the concepts of Jesus into new and different cultures and it getting a little more distorted every single way. The most direct way I can talk about is in translations. So the Bible wasn't written in English. And uh, most of us don't speak ancient Hebrew or ancient Greek. So we rely on scholars to translate those things and to help us understand. And sometimes things get translated into another language and then translated into English from that second language, which is pretty weird. But the way that those words were translated into Latin by the Roman Catholic Church actually really influenced how they were later translated into English. And so the word repent, repentance, repentance in Latin is penitentia, penance, penitence. It means sorrow, regret. It is about that overwhelming feeling of, man, I really screwed up. But that is actually a much later translation of a different word. Uh, there are, are words in Hebrew and words of Greek, but the main Greek word, the main word we're going to talk about is a Greek word, and it is metanoia. Metanoia. I'm just going to let metanoia kind of kick around in the back of your head, but I'm going to tell you one other word um, in Hebrew that gets translated that way. Mean, it's sub, 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 means return, seek, or restore. So, like, how did we get from, like, return, seek, restore, to, like, sorrow, regret? I think the Roman Catholic Church had a lot to do with it, and I think there was a lot of politics. 
And so we need to kind of know that and keep that in our mind, right? This is one influence on us. This is one way that we kind of got off track in understanding this. But like, let's dig deeper. Let's talk about the words that are written down uh, as the ones Jesus used. Now, I have to even tell you this. Jesus probably didn't use these words in Greek either because Jesus spoke Aramaic, which is just like one of the many reasons that the Bible is really complicated. But the Greek words that are recorded as the words that Jesus used generally come down to, with repentance, metanoia. Now, metanoia, uh, in, the, in that Greek culture, was a military term, and it meant about face. It meant literally like a marching army headed into battle would get this command, metanoia, and they would 180, turn all the way around, and start marching back. But literally in the Greek, metanoia means after thought. Now, that can be really misleading because it's not like an afterthought. Like, oh, yeah, probably. I should probably repent or whatever. This is more like on second thought. And, and I think that we can all imagine this, right? When we're doing something destructive or dangerous and we're like, um, that's repentance. That sensation of like, is this good for me? Is this really how I want to use my energy? Is this the, in, the way I want to invest myself in my life? On second thought, metanoia, turning. I mean, I also imagine it's, it's kind of like watching a horror movie, and the characters split up, right, and one of them goes down into the creepy basement alone with just a, a flashlight with batteries that keep kind of going out, and I'm just sitting there watching, eating popcorn, being like, repent, 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 repent. <laughs> And, and that kind of, that urgency, that fear that comes up, that's sort of like, hey, you are headed in a really bad direction. Like, I think that's actually part of what's playing out, uh, you know, with those sandwich boards on the street, right? There are people who are extremely scared about hellfire and about what it could mean. And they feel like we are headed in the wrong direction. They feel like we're on a sinking ship and they're like, repent, repent, repent. But there is a way that that word repent, there's a way that that command to turn around kind of curdles in the mouth of a frightened, angry human. It doesn't come out the way that Jesus said it. Because the urgency of that moment becomes a kind of terrified rage, a vendetta. And it becomes a, a way that, that people try and, and spread their fear. They say, you're not scared enough about what's happening. I need you to be as afraid as me, and I need you to listen to me and do what I tell you so that we can get out of this creepy basement. And so there is this, this shame, this judgment, anything. Like, we're grasping at straws, whatever we can do to get the other person, right, to do what we want because we are so afraid. And honestly, guys, this is just so far, so many light years away from what Jesus was doing when he was inviting us into metanoia. And that's, you know, you'll hear me say this again if you stick around. You might have hear, heard me say it before if you've been here. That's actually what the devil does, is twist things just a little bit. I think what is good and holy is true. And then it becomes just a little bit twisted, a little bit distorted, and it becomes so destructive, so evil, 
The invitation into metanoia, the invitation into repentance is holy and good and life-giving. But that terrified, angry, bell-ringing, on-the-corner command to obey and repent or die, that's destructive. That's evil. That is rending the universe. That is tearing us from one another. But instead of saying, hey, that's what repentance truly is, we need to get to the root of it and to say, what is repentance? What is the beautiful thing that has been distorted? How can we walk away from this destructive pattern that we have built as humanity and find the invitation from God? Now, we do make mistakes. And And on that note of shame, I want to kind of differentiate something here. There is a difference between the feelings of guilt and the feelings of shame. Guilt is a feeling that says, I messed up. I did something wrong. Shame is the feeling that says, I'm messed up. I'm just wrong. I'm bad. Guilt is something that happens the thing where we say I did something wrong, that's something that happens when we are thoughtful, reflective people who make mistakes. But shame, shame is always destructive because shame distorts, again, that picture of the God inside of you. God made you in God's own image. God looks at you and says, you are perfect. That doesn't mean that God's looking at all of your choices and saying, ooh, perfection. No, God's saying, like, you're making some mistakes. You're making some mistakes. But ooh, you oh, you are just the way I made you. You are perfect and good and beautiful. And we need to really distinguish that because that shame that says you are bad, that can be coercive so fast. That can be corrosive so fast. That is toxic. But that guilt that we feel is just a recognition of, oh, I made a mistake and that feels really bad. That can, when it is not turned into shame, when it is held in connection with, I am a perfectly beloved child of God. I am holy and good. My goodness is eternal because God is eternal. And I made a mistake. And that feels bad. That can be an invitation into healing. To say, I want to fix what what harm I've caused. I want to repair the damage that I've done in this world, in my relationship to myself. That's holy and good, but we need to be on guard anytime it is weaponized into shame because that is destructive. And as for the fear, well, the scriptures tell us that perfect love casts out fear, that fear is not of God. Fear is a destructive, corrosive force. So imagine now how different it would feel to hear some of this from someone who loves you with the eternal power of the universe, someone who is on your side, someone who knows that you are perfect even though you make mistakes, one who is not afraid but has perfect love because he is perfect love. Jesus saying, come back. Repent. Come back. Turn around. Come back home. Because this is metanoia on second thought. After examining, I do want to turn around. I'm not headed in the direction I want. I'm feeling separated. I'm feeling that tear between me and the universe. I'm feeling that tear between me and this relationship that is harmed. I'm feeling that tear inside myself when I don't take care of myself. And I want to turn around. I want to turn back towards good relationship with myself, with my friend, with my community, with my God. Come back. 
I love you. That is what metanoia means out of the mouth of Jesus. And so let's think about that in the context of a relationship. I think about it in the context of my marriage. The love of my life, who I have committed myself to, and marriage, as all relationships, is hard and complicated. And so we get into arguments sometimes. It can get contentious or heated, and we can kind of spiral off. And Cameron and I are both like fiery, passionate people, so like absolutely it can feel like we are both headed into an epic Greek battle. And so our armies are headed in. We've got our marching orders. And then someone offers a connection. You know what, you're right. I really did overreact to that. Or, I'm so sorry because I see that I've hurt your feelings. And it's like you can see these little opposing armies kind of look around and be like, well, that's not proper war talk. And they ease their stance and lower their weapons and turn, hopefully turn together away from the battle and towards love towards connection. And in those moments, Cameron and I have repented. We've come back to one another. We've returned to love. This is biblical repentance. And it happens at all levels of relationship. Last week, we talked about how the scriptures really have a lot more to say about communities and nations and empires than individuals. And so in the scriptures here, we see a way that God has instructed us to repent through the temple sacrificial system because it was a call for entire communities to heal that relationship, to put down their arms, to come back together, to return to love and connection. We can do this with ourselves. Have you ever weaponized shame against yourself? I bet if you've grown up in this culture, you have... And we can repent from that. We can say, you know what, I'm going to return to a loving stance to myself. I'm going to treat myself with kindness and compassion. I repent of the ways that I have harmed myself. You can do that in your interpersonal relationships. You can do that with community and you can do that with God. You say, I return, I return to love. And so in ancient Judaism, in Jesus' day and before, there was a system that God had given God's people rituals to do this because human beings love a good ritual. One of them was the mikvah, the baptism essentially, where you would walk into a pool of water and you would submerge your whole body and you'd come through and you'd walk out on the other side. How beautiful is that? It symbolized a clean start it said, ooh, I feel unclean. I feel like I've, I've just messed up. That guilt, that feeling is all over me. I want to start fresh in this relationship. Let me, let me submerge myself and emerge on the other side, new, with a clean start. And temple sacrifice. Now, I got temple sacrifice wrong in my imagination for a really long time. Because when I think of temple sacrifice, when I used to hear passages like the one we read today, I saw, you know, the, the killing of animals and something, you know, the song we sang this morning about uh, the blood of Jesus. And I'm like, ooh, that all, ooh, ooh, no thank you. 
That sounds like vengeful God nonsense. I'm not here for it. And when I was uh, not a Christian, not identified with the spiritual tradition, and in college, I remember talking with my friend Noah, who was Jewish, about his relationship to those ancient practices. And I was like, how can you, like, how do you even deal with all those old texts that tell you to, like, kill animals and stuff? Like, isn't this just appeasing a vengeful, bloodthirsty God? And Noah was like, oh, you've got this super wrong. <laughs> like, you don't understand what's happening here. And I'm like, well, they, the, the scriptures command you to, like, kill animals. Like, that's messed up, right? And Noah was like, yeah, so, you know the, like, fattened calf and the grains and the spices that everybody was supposed to bring to the temple, which was like the center of the city, the center of the community. I was like, yeah. He's like, what do you think they did with all of that? And I was like, they killed it. He's like, they killed the grains, they killed the spices. I was like, I don't know. He's like, those were our ingredients. These are instructions for a community barbecue, Jonah. This was all eaten. This is food. This is coming together and saying, hey, we're having a cookout, everybody. This is metanoia. That's what repentance is actually for. It's not sacrificing blood for an angry, vengeful God. It's saying, hey, throw down because we've been torn apart and the best way back together is by sharing a meal. And you know what? If you want to really show how committed you are, bring your best. Bring the best of what you have. Offer it to God, to the community, and let's feast. And then I started paying closer attention to those passages, like the ones that we, one that we read this morning, and I'm like, they partied for like weeks. <laughs> they had like, they, they had thousands, thousands of animals that they sacrificed. And in my mind, again, I'm thinking sacrifice, that's just about death and destruction. No, that is thousands of, of, of meals that is weeks-long parties for a whole city. And what else did they do? They brought their musical instruments, and they sang, and they told the stories of the God who liberates, and they joined together. And God said, when you're feeling separated from me, when you're feeling like the rain will never come, when you're feeling like everything has been torn asunder, when you're feeling alone and forgotten, come back to the temple. Bring your best Bring it to me and I will meet you there. I promise my heart lives here. My heart lives here. And so when you come and you bring your best and we party for weeks or months and we sing and dance and we join together, that is how we heal. That is how we heal. We bring the fabric of the universe back together by offering our best and by sharing with one another. It's a beautiful plan. I love it. I love it. You know, you made a mistake, take a shower. Just rinse that right off your body. You hurt someone, bring them a meal. Bring the best that you have. Repent, come back. You don't actually have to be excised. You don't actually have to be banished. We are not going to forget you in the pits of hell. Come back. Come back. But that system, that ancient system, wasn't working for a lot of reasons. And maybe it's because Jesus saw people were becoming anxious and legalistic. Or maybe it's because, as Jesus pointed out a lot, the temple authorities, the people in power, were really making some bad choices about mediating that and trying to control it. And there was disproportionate access. And maybe it was because the economic inequality made it so that some people didn't have the right best to bring. 
But whatever it was, Jesus said, hey, you know what? We're going to get back to basics, and it's going to start with me. You only need to be baptized once, and you have a clean slate forever. You don't have to obsessively wash yourself. You are clean in my eyes. You can keep that ritual. It's beautiful. You can remember it. You can remember it in the shower. You can make the sign of the cross on your forehead. You can remember how, how clean and washed you are in front of me. But don't, don't wash yourself obsessively every day, every time you think you've made a mistake. And then, with the temple sacrifice, which, by the way, that was a really hard system to hold up as well when invading empires and armies kept destroying the temple, right? So, like, there are a lot of factors about why this wasn't the system that, that made it to today. But Jesus said, listen... You don't need access to a human temple. You don't need to have the right best. You don't need to have anything, in fact. You know what? I'll be the sacrifice. I'm bringing the ingredients. I am the bread of life. This is my body. It's broken for you. My blood poured out for you. Eat and drink that. Come together around me. I made the first move so that you don't have to have anything Come to the altar. I'm already there. The feast has been set. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. And in this light, hearing that, hearing repent and live, hearing repent for the kingdom is near, come home. The feast has been set. Come home and live. Come home and celebrate. Come home and sing with me. Sing and remember Sing and tell the stories of the God who loves you. Remember that you are not alone. I know those tears in the universe, they make you feel so isolated. They make you feel like you can never find your way back, but you can. Sing your way back. Celebrate your way back. Feast your way back. And if you don't have any food to put on the table, I'll put my own body there. We have enough. There is more than enough, and we can heal this together. Come home. Repent. Find one another and return to love. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, your word is good news. And it gets so distorted on this earth sometimes. And we pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us wisdom to discern, that you would give us hope to trust that you are good. And God, that we could repent, that we could respond to our mistakes and our failures with the recognition and memory that what we need is to turn back to you. What we need is to turn back to each other. What we need is love. And God, that when we don't feel like we have enough, when we feel like we've messed up too many times, and we feel like we don't have anything to offer, remind us that you have offered it all for us. And that that is enough. And that we can be healed and held in love and live. Amen.